You're listening to Real People of Orange County, and I'm your host, Kimberly Martin. This show is a fun and informative look inside the lives of Orange County's best and brightest. These are people who serve their community in a meaningful capacity on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. Well, welcome to today's edition of Real People OC. I am excited to get to today's show, probably kind of like, I don't know, I should maybe with a little fear of trepidation, we're going to talk about health and fitness. And I got to drop by uh, Renaissance Club Sports earlier um, in advance of this show. And man, what a fabulous facility. I swear I think I could work out if I had the ability to work out an environment as luscious as this one. Um, over in Aliso Viejo, had a great time visiting. And now I'm just looking for the motivation to uh, get my, let's just say, um, myself in gear and in shape for the summer. So brought into the studio with us, uh, Dan Levin, and then on the phone is going to be uh, Chuck Rudolph, and we're going to talk to them about what it really takes to get in shape. So we'll get right into today's show. So welcome, Dan Levin and Chuck Rudolph from Aliso Viejo Renaissance Club Sport. Happy to have you in the studio with us today. Thanks for having us. Yes, thank you for being here. Well, so summer is just one of those times where, hey, people get a little anxiety going. And I would have to say that if they do, it's a little late in the game. You know, we're, we're, nearing, um, we're nearing those exposed months, right? And people want to look their best. But oh, gosh, you know, there's so many things that go on in a year, you can't really put it all together at once. Let's talk about what the basic fundamentals are to getting people healthy that want to be healthy, that, that don't currently have um, a regimen going. Anybody want to weigh in on uh, how important the exercise is versus the nutrition, or are they both, they need to work concomitantly? Sure. Well, I handle the exercise part, and Chuck handles the nutrition. And, you know, I tell a lot of clients and a lot of members, because it's a very common question, uh, that nutrition is, they say, 70% of your goals. And I like to tack on it even extra 10%, because I find that people are very reluctant to change the way they eat, especially if they... You know, there's a lot of negativity with organizing your food that people, uh, you know, associate a meal plan with. And once they realize that it's very doable and someone like Chuck gives a, you know, could produce a great meal plan for somebody that not only will get them to their goals, but it's centered around foods that they already eat. And that's huge because you don't want to take people out of their comfort zone. So with as much, you know, with, you know, with consideration that there's some foods that aren't going to make it if it's total garbage foods, but we want to arrange it with stuff you're familiar with and used to cooking and shopping for. Okay, good. Uh, weigh in on that, Chuck. Um, basically, what what I try to educate and teach people is uh, it, it's kind of a balance uh, what, what the body needs. Uh, there's so much misinformation coming from a biochemical mind of what the body needs in order to burn body fat, uh, keep inflammation down, uh, be healthy. Um, it's really difficult from what society says. It's low carb, it's no carb, it's high carb, it's no fat, it's only fruit, juice. I mean, there's just so much stuff out there. It's just crazy. So the way that I teach people um, is basically feed them what the body needs. They need the essentials, uh, the essential amino acids, which is a good source of protein. They need essential fatty acids, which are a good source of uh, healthy, beneficial fat. And then they need fiber. So the way that I educate and teach people is how do you build proteins and good fats and good fiber sources into your current lifestyle to where it's not, um, here's a piece of paper, change your entire lifestyle to meet these calories on this piece of paper. It's more or less build it into their current, uh, when they wake up, when they go to bed, and teach them how to put 
what are good proteins, what are good fats, and why you're putting those together. So it's a lot of education is what I do that uh, I don't think, actually I know we weren't taught growing up. I wasn't. Um, uh, my kids are, but uh, a lot of people weren't taught how to eat. You should never be hungry. If you're hungry, in my mind, you're going to store fat because once you go eat, you're going to spike a lot of insulin. Insulin's a hormone that stores lots of fats, and, and you're going to get increase in belly fat and love handle fat. So you eat because we're supposed to eat. You know, I tell people when I do some presentations, your body is like a car. People use it all the time, but you don't drive your car until the gas runs out and then take the little red can and walk to the gas station. You fill it up before it's empty. When you're hungry, you're empty. So we got to be more um, aware that we need to make sure that we're feeding our system for not only because we need food, but because of a performance, because we're keeping nutrients to the brain, we're keeping blood sugars level. We're not falling asleep at 2.30 in the afternoon because we ate at 9 and haven't ate lunch yet. So there's a lot of education that I try to teach a lot of my clients um, when it comes to the, to the uh, nutrition aspect. Well, it's, it's, it's such, like you said, it's such a difficult task to unwind, and I think it's because we've overcomplicated it. Um, I, I want to just have you to take a minute to tell me a little bit about yourselves. I, um, I think you probably both have interesting stories, so let's start with you, Dan. Well, I've been a trainer since about 2001. Uh, I actually started training informally. I used to be in the military. I was a naval nuclear electronics tech for six years in the 90s. And when you go out to sea for six months, when you have to get deployed, it's much nicer when you come back because you don't have a life when you're in the Navy. When you come back, you're in better shape. It just simplifies and, you know, it adds a little bit of uh, social ease. So I would take a little crew with me and we would always come back in better shape and it worked out really well. Then after the military, I went into video game design uh, where I did that for a few years and it was fun. And then I switched over to training after a while and I, I haven't looked back. I mean, at least the last two jobs were a lot of fun. The Navy was interesting, but training is, uh, is, is very fulfilling. I liked how you said earlier that you weren't, you didn't follow the path of the usual trainer. Tell me about that. When you look at a, a lot of the trainers, and we have, you know, we have some great trainers at the club. A lot of them, they're uh, they're former college athletes. Uh, they've also done bodybuilding and competitive shows like that. I really haven't. I mean, I was a nerdy little kid. I was the second smallest kid in my class. I was under a uh, hundred pounds until I was a junior in high school. I was a Dungeons and Dragons playing comic book collecting Smurf. Uh, so the, you know, most people came up with more sports. My my first sport was really in the in the Navy. We were uh, I was in a lot of inline hockey leagues. Uh, you were a nerd. <laughs> I, I'm I'm still a nerd. I, I I still like all that stuff. You know, but it you know it all helps though because a lot of times you'll get uh, first of all when when you work in video games you have to deliver a lot of information to a large group of people and it kind of changes the way you use the language. Uh, which I feel that it helps with me because you have a variety of, of clients from all different, you know, all different corners of the planet uh, with different views on how everything's done. It just makes it easier to communicate uh, since I was a writer before. And it's, you know, most of my writing in the past has been comedy. So it's it's fun to have a, an amusing session, too. In between butt kicking, we're usually laughing. Okay, okay, good. Well, yeah, so I, I th that's fascinating to me, though, because like you said, you it can be actually intimidating to want to work with a trainer because they're, um, you know, big, enormous melodonists, you know, you're like, ah, it just really doesn't, I'm not at that level, I don't want to have, some, I, you know, it can be intimidating. So, and maybe you provide a little softer start for people. 
Well, we want people to be comfortable regardless of the room. And it's not uncommon to hear people say, like especially from a lot of girls, where they want to stick to the machines or do classes, and they kind of hesitate to go in the freeway room, and they'll say, you know, there's these big, giant, sweaty guys, and they're grunting, and they're staring at you. And, you know, I tell them, like, look, it's first of all, it's California. If they're looking at the mirror, they're most likely staring at themselves. And everyone needs to do free weights and do resistance training. You don't want to just do machines. Uh, for a big reason is that we sit down at work, most of us. We sit down when we're relaxing. We're sitting down when we're going back and forth. I think it's insane to expect to sit down during your whole workout. I mean, that's only in a first-world country in America would you or people sitting down during exercise. You should get up. And you should, you know, because a lot of times when you're sitting, you're corrupting your posture all day anyway. And you're reinforcing that to a degree if all your physical activity is done sitting down. Interesting. Okay, so we'll circle back to some of the more technical aspects of the training. But I want to get a a minute with you, Chuck. Um, Chuck Rudolph, give me a little background about you. Um, Well, I come from the athletic side. (laughs) uh, The Melodonis I was describing earlier? Yeah, I'm not not a big big old beefy guy, but... um, yeah, yeah, I played um, baseball my whole life, uh, played college baseball at State University, and um, did my undergrad there, which was a pre-med biochem, or a biology degree, and then I ended up going to the University of Cincinnati, where I did my master's degree in uh, nutrition education and biochem, and uh, got accepted out to Cal State Long Beach, where I did my registered dietitian internship, and then passed the thing, and that's the test that you have to take, and I've been an RD since '98, uh, I believe, is when I got it. Um, basically, you know, I got into the nutrition aspect because I got hurt my freshman year in baseball, and pretty much was there on a full scholarship, and then didn't know what I was doing, couldn't be active, wasn't able to do any rates or nothing, and kind of blew up, got out of shape, and then healed quickly, and you know. Next thing you know, i got to figure out how to get my keep my scholarship. So I kind of do it the wrong way and did a bunch of cardio, didn't lift weights, and didn't eat much, and got weak, and then sort of puzzling things back together. And then uh, did get into working out and lifting weights to try, try to get the strength back, and then it just kind of coincided together. But the nutrition, the biochemistry, that was more is what stimulated my mind than, you know, moving weights and being faster and stronger. So I kind of took that route. And uh, been doing it ever since, probably about 94, 95. And then um, we've been at the Renaissance Club since it opened along with Dan. So um, l- let me understand you just say that you did it the wrong way by doing too much cardio and not eating enough. Is that what you said? Correct. Yeah, it's way the wrong way. <laughs> so Yeah, there's, there needs to be resistance training and lifting weights and then making sure you're eating enough food you got to eat food, otherwise the system will slow itself down and then kind of, you're kind of, uh, it's just not beneficial. You know, you'll see people lose on the scale, but unfortunately I was eating a lot of muscle tissue. So um, the metabolism slows down, the energy levels were kind of uh, drained, the strength was gone. Um, and then when you do start to eat again, especially the body has to eat, it kind of comes back more fatty than it does muscle. So I did it wrong the first way. First so that's that that confusion probably has confused a whole generation of people and and uh, dieters, wouldn't you say? Oh, it's just yeah. It's, 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 I know Dan and I hear it all the time, especially from women. Oh, uh, you know, and I eat right. I do this. I I do cardio. So and then we're like, 
One of the big, and really what Chuck's describing is is essentially yo-yo dieting and a combination with, you could have like yo-yo activity too. And when you don't have enough calories, when you are at the starvation level, or if you're overtraining to a very high level, you're going to burn a lot of muscle. And you might think, oh, I don't care as long as I get smaller, but your metabolism is based on how much muscle you have. So if you lose, just say you, you, know, you, you lose a bunch of weight, just say you lose 20 pounds doing it the wrong way, where you lost a combination of fat and muscle, you're high-fiving all your friends because you're, you're a slave to the scale. But sooner or later, you're going to stop starving yourself. and then. But now your body needs even less calories than before because you already wasted so much muscle. And you're going to balloon back to where you were before or even worse. And that's the essence of the yo-yo. So I think back to one of the only times I lost weight. Well, first of all, I have to say I was bone thin most of my life until I had children. And so now I have a whole new, I had a whole different set of circumstances in that my goal was to put weight on because I didn't have enough. I felt, you know, really too skinny most of my life and um, had kids, fixed whatever that problem was, and then got the flip side, which was too much weight. And one of the only times I've lost weight during, you know, this, not that I've tried a lot, I probably should try a lot harder. I see a lot of my contemporaries trying a lot harder. But um, I had to eat so much food, I couldn't keep up with it. And it, let's talk about that. Well, it's like Dan was saying. I mean, uh, your, your system runs on fuel, so it's designed to adapt, and it'll adapt to whatever you're doing. So if you're starving it and overtraining it, it'll basically go into a stall mode, and it just starts preserving itself off of muscle tissue. Really, it'll hold on to your body fat. I mean, it, it uses all the systems can, can you know, um, all at one time, but it'll preserve body fat um, <clears throat> more efficiently in a starved state and overtrained state than it will muscle tissue. It'll eat the muscle tissue quickly. So the whole idea is being able to make sure that you teach people you got to eat. You know, I see so many people that'll do 1,500 calories, they'll lose 10 pounds, oh, let's go to 1,200, and they lose like 3 pounds, and then, oh, let's go to 1,000, but unfortunately their whole metabolism is just slowing down. It'll catch up quickly the less calories you get it. So all of a sudden, it has, there's no efficiency to the system because it's not getting any fuel to it. Chuck, could you also so, explain what uh, some of the negative effects of being in the starvation level, uh, like as far as like, you know, susceptible to illness and injuries and all that stuff? Well, definitely, and that goes into the whole overtraining. So here you are doing an hour and a half of cardio because you want the scale to go down. You're eating 1,000 calories. There's no nutrition to fuel the immune system. There's no nutrition to fuel muscle tissues. So your bones can actually get uh, weak. Your muscles get weak. Your brain, focus, concentration, sleep patterns are a disaster. And what happens is, is the scale goes down, but a lot of times the clothes don't change or the appearance doesn't change because you're, all you're doing is losing all of this muscle tissue. So, and unfortunately, the other side is you start to crave a lot of carbohydrates at that point because your blood sugar levels just are way too low. Another health risk when your blood sugars are too low. So it, it is a good, it goes back to that yo-yo system of not really knowing, hey, I should eat this many calories, and here's a way to balance it out through my day on my workout days. My off days, maybe I cut back a little bit. That way the body never, ever adapts to one set of calories. Because once it does that, then we're in deep trouble. Because that's never going to change. You know, like I know Dan and, and, and working out of training, 
can't do the same routine and the same weights for six, seven weeks in a row. The body will adapt to it. Same thing with nutrition. So is that the, is that what they call a set point? Or is that yeah. a different concept? It's so similar, yes. It just gets to a point that's happy with it. Unless you shock it and, and, and tweak it and make it do something different, it'll just be happy wherever you decide to put it. So Chuck does, uh, I've noticed, and I've had a lot of clients go through Chuck, He'll hit that two different ways. He'll have, for some clients, he'll have them do a cheat meal, not to be confused with a cheat day that some people just go crazy. And even a cheat meal, there has to be some, you know, have, not, have not fun. Not cheap as in pee, no, but no, cheat, like cheat. a cheater, cheater, pumpkin. E- exactly. Okay. Or and, reward. Or a reward meal. A reward meal. And, okay. and that's yeah. also to throw the system off and, you know, you're getting more calories with that. And what Chuck also does for a lot of meal plans is you'll have two caloric totals. You'll have one for a day that you come to the gym and you bring it and another day that you don't. And you don't need as many calories on a day that you don't come to the gym. And that's not to make life more difficult for you for food planning. It is to have you march even more success, you know, faster to your goals. And like, like for my meal plan, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, Chuck, my, my, for my body fat, uh, body fat reduction, you had me on about 1855 and about 200 calories less for a non-workout day. Typically, about 275 to 350 is the where it's, it's indicated that the body will notice a difference. So that's, you know, from, from the cheat day and the low-calorie day for a non-workout day, that's two ways to not just be on the steady caloric intake where you, your body adapts and you're going to slow progress down. But do you find that people actually go in the reverse where if they work out one day, they actually eat those 250 calories more that- well, th- well I got one thing about what the other thing I try to teach people is it, it's got nothing to do with, to me, in my opinion, it's not calories in versus calories out. It's how efficiently are you balancing your insulin response every time you eat. Okay, because I mean, if it was calories in, calories out, you could go burn a thousand calories and then eat a thousand calories of Skittles. And you tell that to someone, like, oh, no, that's not the same. I'm like, whoa, you just said calories in versus calories out. It should be the same. Well, okay, then it's not calories in, calories out. So what you have to really look at is how efficiently can you balance insulin response with every single meal. And that's where the essentials come into play. Let's talk, let's talk about the insulin response for a little bit. Sure. Um, basically what happens is when you eat food, your, most people, their pancreas spits out or excretes a certain amount of insulin hormones to go get that food, it breaks it down, and then stores it where the body needs it. Okay, there are various foods that will cause the pancreas to put out too much insulin. Carbohydrates, sugars, fructose corn syrup, you know, fruit drinks, things like that, they will cause too much insulin. Where if you were to eat protein by itself, or some protein with some good fats, and protein, fats, and some dark green vegetables, it would be different if that same calorie from the protein and the fats and the vegetables, if it were the same calories of Skittles. They'd get a way different insulin response. Now, what happens is when you spit out too much insulin or you excrete too much insulin into the bloodstream, it floats around, and its main job is to store nutrients. So if you have too much insulin floating around in the blood, which is called hyperinsulinemia, there's a dramatic increase in the risk of storing belly fat and love handle fat, let alone all the negative ramifications of what it would do if there was high cholesterol in the system at the same time, if there's too much saturated fat or trans fats and 
it just starts storing these negative or risky nutrients where you don't want them to be stored. So there is a quite a bit of information looking at hyperinsulinemia and cancer, hyperinsulinemia and central obesity, hyperinsulinemia and diabetes, heart disease, and they're all related to what happens when you spike insulin, what enzymes are turned on, which ones are turned off. And it just goes through this biochemical cascade of either positive, where it can take cholesterol and take it up a whole different pathway, causing very beneficial hormonal response, or it can be the opposite, where it takes it a different pathway and now it starts sticking in your arterial walls. Okay. So I, I, I want to just bring something up. So, Chuck, you mentioned cholesterol and saturated fat. And there's a lot of people that think that those two need to be totally eliminated from their diet. And I see it as more as you need a certain amount because they're, they're necessary to a degree, but it's with the presence of a giant insulin spike that they become a problem. Is that correct? That's 100% correct, yes. There's a lot of research that backs that. That's, that's where there's too much insulin in the bloodstream, and there are various enzymes that are turned on that are not positive during that time they will take cholesterol and saturated fat and convert them into a more negative uh, nutrient, etc. better words. So someone comes to you. Um, well, actually, let me pause for a minute and just say, if you're just tuning in with us, you're listening to Real People OC, and I'm your host, Kimberly Martin. I have with us in the studio uh, Dan Levin and Chuck Rudolph, uh, from Renaissance Club Sport over there in Aliso Viejo. Beautiful facility. I got a chance to take a tour of it. And boy, if, uh, gosh, I think I would just go there just to use the facility, but um, I'd, I'd be a little a little afraid that maybe I wouldn't work out as much as I should because it's got so many beautiful amenities over there. But um, uh, we're talking today about getting fit for the summer and really the mindset. Uh, we're going to talk to Dan about the mindset for that. And uh, Chuck is giving us a good overview right now um, on diet and and some of the things that we have learned now that really weren't so true before, but um, or people didn't know before, and and some of the myths that we followed in uh, in diets before as well. So um, let's go back to that discussion. One of the the obstacles that we have are that people don't know the difference between eating healthy and eating to change their body, their body composition specifically, and. I would, you know, people would ask me, how do I get rid of this area? And they start either pinching or slapping various parts of their body uh, in front of me and saying, how do I get rid of this? What exercise? And it's never, ever an exercise. And my job is training and selling training, but it's not an exercise. We'll never get rid of a fatty area. Fat is like a jacket. You could put a jacket or a park on. You could do a million crunches and say, how do I look? And you look like you have a park on. It's, it's really nutrition that takes the vast majority of the parka off. But a lot of people get confused and with a lot of the misinformation out there, like let's take, for example, juicing and specifically fruit juicing. Uh, a lot of people are confused and think that's the way to go if they want to get leaner. And the problem is, is that someone like me, I'll have uh, either three apples a day or the equivalent of three apples a day, three pieces of fruit of, of medium size. But you could find somebody that, you know, I'll, I'll ask them what they, you know, what their nutrition is, and they never want to talk about it, but I'm, you know, through force of will, I'll make them tell me what they eat all day. And they'll start off with their breakfast where they'll juice, like, and they get, for some reason, they get very breathy when they explain this. Uh, Chuck, you can 
chime in on that, but they'll go like, I, uh, I put a banana, uh, some soy milk, uh, some organic raspberries, some blueberries, an apple, uh, a little bit of honey. And in my, in my mind, all the, the caloric numbers of how much fruit and how much fruit sugar they're getting. And a lot of these people, they'll get more sugar in one sitting than uh, my clients are, are, and I will get in two or three days total. Wow. And that's a super insulin spike. Right. And Chuck, do you encounter that a lot? People that are very pro oh, fruit juicing? Yeah, big time. Yeah, they think it's the greatest thing going. It's so, but it's still healthy. And then I get it's the healthy sugar. I'm like, oh boy. But really? Healthy sugar? Natural. Natural sugar. Now, fortunately, your body doesn't know if it's natural or not. It just needs a molecule that it's going to respond to with a, a pancreas secretion of insulin. So. <laughs> right, it's more basic but, physiology. But you know what? You get, get, well, yeah, and that's where I go to the whole biochemistry. It's natural sugar, what? It's the same molecule, whether it's natural or not, and it, it, it's still a sugar molecule. Okay, yeah, fructose may not cause as drastic of an insulin response as table sugar or sucrose would. However, it has two different breakdowns. So it's a disaccharide, so it'll break down twice, cause a double insulin response. So wow. people that eat fruit at nighttime, they wonder why they can't get rid of any fat at night now because you keep spiking insulin while you're sleeping. You should be eating fruit at nighttime. So what fruit they should grab is a yogurt, si- piece of cheese or turkey and some avocado. Protein and fat. Protein the thing is, is, protein and fat, you can never spike insulin. You just can't. I mean, you have to eat so much of it. And what happens is, is because they're essential... They have nutrients in there that turn on what's called the satiety mechanism. They make you feel full. Now, I ask people all the time, have you ever tried to eat three eggs scrambled with the yolk, all three eggs, four eggs? You're like, oh, man, let's get some stuff. I'm like, it's the same calories as a banana, toast with jelly, and some orange juice. Yet you're starving an hour later. So um, I suppose it wouldn't it wouldn't be good to bring up breakfast cereal right now, would it, in this conversation? I don't even know what that is. <laughs> I, I had somebody at my house the other day ask me if um, if they could pour their kids some cereal, and I said, "I'm sorry, I don't have that in my home. Yeah, I've never my fed that to my children." Actually, yeah, it all comes to the confusion, in my opinion, of of micronutrients versus macronutrients, because some people will focus on whether a cereal says, "Look how many, look how it's loaded with." all these vitamins and minerals and fruits healthy it has you know vitamins and phytochemicals and all that's true uh, the problem is with fruit is that just say if you're having the fruit juice is that you're taking out all the fiber and as Chuck described like when you have sugar uh, you're gonna get an insulin spike fiber could temper the insulin spike it lasts a little longer but it doesn't spike as high and you don't want it to spike really high because then it, that's when it, it really starts uh, you know, storing everything as fat in the in those trouble areas. But so, isn't that why they brought out about the Vitamixer and the Nutribullet? So you're having the whole fruit. Does that make a difference, or have you broken it, down it, the fiber it too does, much? No, no, it, no. It, it, it definitely is more beneficial by keeping all the fiber coming from the fruits, and then if you put some good vegetables in there, you know, get some good fats in there. That helps slow down. What you're trying to do, and what I try to tell people, you're trying to slow down what's called transit time. Transit time is the amount of time it takes from the food, which gets into your stomach, and from the time it gets from your stomach to the small intestine. Once food hits the small intestine, then it signals the pancreas to release a certain amount of insulin based on what the food is, how much is there, etc. So, the longer you can get, or more controlled you can get this transit time of the food you're eating, 
the better off it is. So I tell people, if you put broccoli or some asparagus or even a little bit of lettuce in the stomach, and then you dump a bunch of sugar in there, it's going to take longer for the sugar to get to the small intestine. Because it's got to go through like a forest of all this roughage, and it takes longer for it to get to the small intestine versus you just drinking sugar. You drink sugar, man, and your stomach flies down the small intestine, whoo, pancreas goes crazy. we got a room full of insulin, and we're just storing body fat like crazy, let alone all the other negatives that come from spicing insulin. So, so go ahead. Um, so basically, that's where it gets to protein slows down transit time. It's very hard to digest. It takes a little longer for it to get down into the small intestine. Fats, another barricade. Okay, vegetables, dark vegetables, greens, barricade. You want that to try to make it as slow that transit time from the stomach to the small intestine to get a more controlled insulin response to do what it's supposed to do. Get the nutrients, put them where they need to go, and then go back to the pancreas and just get out of my blood. So how would we go about explaining our addiction to sugar? It, it is, seems a little strange to me with so much knowledge now that still every diet uh, tends to look for ways to get sugar back into your diet so that you stick with their plan. Well, it's funny because if you are balanced, you'll never crave sugar. I, mean, I have so many people like, oh, you know, I've got to have this chocolate at this time. I've got to have this. I, got, I, can't, God, I can't go to nighttime and not have something sweet before bed. And within one or two meals, I get, I'll get a text from them. I can't believe I'm not craving sugar right now. Well, you know, you didn't tell your body. You didn't wake up in the morning at 6, not eat till 9 o'clock. You got up, you threw a hard-boiled egg in your mouth. Boom. Got a nice little insulin balance going on. Three Did hours later, you ate something that was protein, fat, and fiber. No insulin spike, no sugar craving. Okay, so what, um, like... Do, do you advocate the use of these shakes that everybody seems to be on these days? Uh, I advocate if it's something that you're able to balance. I look at protein, fats, and fiber. So if you want to use a protein powder with some almond milk and some almonds and, you know, if that's gonna where you're going to get your balance, then absolutely, that's no problem with me. It's all about efficiency. So uh, I'm oh, glad uh, you brought that up, actually, because a lot of people are under... Uh, the conception that they always need protein shakes. When they start working out, they're pounding protein shakes left and right. And what Chuck actually said wasn't a protein shake. He has other macronutrients in there. And no one, uh, we're not tigers. We need more than just protein. But I see a lot of people for a significant part of their calories in the beginning, before we get our hands on them, they're just slamming endless protein drinks. And that's just protein. They're missing the fat, uh, which is not only essential, but also uh, gives you the feeling of being more satisfied with your meal and takes longer to digest. Okay, so give me an idea of some of the good fats. Um, any nuts, really. Uh, almonds, macadamia nuts, pistachios, um, peanuts if you don't have an allergy to it, um, avocados, phenomenal, Got olive oil, flax oil, um, coconut oil. Those are all very beneficial fats. Heck, even butter is beneficial as long as it's juiced properly. It's a great, it's a great saturated fat. And it's so where people get derailed on this is probably in the quantity. Is that correct? Correct. The quantity and the what you're eating it with. Oh, so the what got, you're eating it with. Yeah, if we've got uh, you know two scrambled eggs, a piece of wheat toast with jelly on it, and some orange juice and a banana, that saturated fat and cholesterol that's in the egg yolk is going to be very negative. Because we now have a massive insulin spike. And that's because 
just about everything he listed are all carbs, all the jelly, the toast, the yep. banana. You the know, standard and, breakfast. And even that, even just the eggs, would you would you say, Chuck, that they need to add maybe an extra egg white or two to properly balance the fat and the protein? Uh, yes, and then get rid of that stupid wheat thing and the jelly. <laughs> and the, the banana. stupid wheat it's thing. It's funny to me is the, no, the yeah, don't even, that's a whole other topic. Don't even start on wheat. Well, whenever the whole banana. You know, most people don't realize a banana is about, a portion of a banana is about a third of your normal six-inch banana. I see people, they'll leave the gym with a full banana and a half on their hand. Yes, which, they got this enormous belly. It's which, like, guys, hey. Which means like, like... 90 grams of sugar you just ate there. <laughs> so like three, four inches of a banana is equal to like a regular medium-sized apple? Yeah, it's, it's really, it's, it's two and a quarter ounces. So it's about, yeah, two and a half, three inches. That's it. So if you're eating a giant banana out there, you are getting as much fruit as my clients would get in about a day or a day and a half. Easily, yeah. Easily. If not more. I, I like the way Dan says, my clients. So does that mean all your pl- clients behave, Dan? <laughs> I well, guess if they're paying you for your time, they must want something pretty seriously. You know, what, what we don't do is we don't teach a life of culinary abstinence or like a cloistered lifestyle that's just all suffering and weighing and everything's measured. I know uh, lots of my clients drink wine, and that's fine, and I'm not here to take that away from them. I'm former Navy. I can't take away people's alcohol unless they're going crazy. Uh, but the idea is that if you're going to go out on an excursion, like on the weekend, I might go out and get a Bloody Mary. I might go out and get a burger, or even though normally I wouldn't get the fries. But whether I do that or someone else does that, that's really not a big deal because the rest of the week is clean. And when you're clean for the majority of time, you're allowed to go out and indulge. That's when you're supposed to. It's... It's when you're going crazy all week and then going, like, you know, hog wild on the weekends, that's when uh, everything starts piling up pretty quick in the, in the worst areas. So it's not about permanently going without stuff. It's You're, you're going to enjoy those little treats more, uh, you know, or you're really not going to miss them. Because a lot of times if it's just cravings, as Chuck said, it's because of your, you know, you're not getting the right macronutrients and that's setting up cravings. Your body's not going to tell you, I need carbs, I need protein. It's going to manifest in, in a food type. Hey, this candy looks good. Hey, that steak looks good. And so you have to look at it for what it is. I mean, you have to look past that, you know, just just the, the cover. So uh, really quickly, I, I, wanted, I want you, Dan, to take us back to the com- conversation that we had briefly in the beginning about body composition and the goals. Um, but before we do that, Dan, would it be fair to say then the, those programs that advocate six small meals a day is the best way to go? You want that one, Chuck? Oh, I'm an, I uh, meant Chuck. I'm sorry. I said Dan, didn't oh, I? Right. Thank you. Uh, you know what? I mean, it's it's better than two large ones, in my opinion. To, you know, when you're looking at trying to make sure that insulin is balanced. Um, but, you know, I mean, I myself, I don't have time to eat six times a day. There's just no way. You know, I'm probably somewhere between a four or five. Some people, based on their day, they can manipulate and get in six smaller meals throughout the day as long as they're balanced. So how you do you... I mean? How do you answer that for the people that want to sit down with their family to the main meal of the day? That should happen all the time. There's no, there's no reason that can't be built into their, their lifestyle. Okay. I'm not, not, not a problem at all. And that's how you do My way when I sit down with people, it's when's bre- when you wake up, when's breakfast, when's typical lunchtime, when's typical dinner. Poof. Okay, we have the main ones. This is when we like to eat with a family. Your lunch is at 12, dinner's at 7. Great. We need something at 3.30. Okay. And I- the rule of thumb is... Basically, don't eat sooner than two and a half hours after you've ate, but 
you know, we don't want to go longer than four, four and a half hours. So that three, three and a half, four hour range is where you're trying to get protein, fats, and fiber in. And Chuck, could you quickly describe uh, what happens with insulin when you go too long in between meals? Well, basically what, what happens is once you start getting hunger craving, that means that your blood sugar is too low. So it sends a signal to the brain, hey, crank up the appetite. Unfortunately, at that point, you're not going to want to eat grilled chicken breast with some avocado and broccoli. You're going to want a burrito. You're going to want Doritos. You're going to want Snickers bars, soda, because the, the brain's saying, hey, I need sugar, and you better get it to me fast. Otherwise, you have a headache, you fall asleep, you get crabby and cranky, etc. So the choice is, all right, cool, I get my soda, or I get my Snickers bar, or I get the burrito. Now, unfortunately, the body now will overproduce insulin to go get that food that you just ate and break it down into sugar as fast as it possibly can to get sugar to the brain and make the brain happy. And then it'll go through the cascade of, okay, well, now we're good to go, and now you're full, and now we're good to go, and, you know, your belly feels bloated. And so there is reasons why people are bloated. There's reasons why you crave sugars and carbs. There's reasons, you know, why... You don't sleep well at nighttime. There's a, and there's so much of it now coming out with research relating it to insulin balance, blood sugar control, and the inflammation inside the cells. Not like you busted your knee and your knee's all swollen. But inflammation inside the cell that's not allowing proper communication and you can't oxidize fats. Just just can't happen. The enzymes aren't there. What do you need to oxidize the fats? Uh, insulin balance. So where the inflammation is reduced. Um, it's almost like the cells can't communicate because there's no, there's a barrier. There's too many inflammatory markers with inside the cells and are in this, in the cellular area that you can't get proper communication between cells to oxidize fatty acids efficiently and properly. That's coming from insulin being too high, causing inflammation, and that's where a lot of the research is coming out. Is looking at that, that they call it intracellular inflammation which you can't see, except in belly fat, love handle fat, and poor sleep behavior, cravings of carbs and sugars and things like that. That's where, that's where they start doing the body typing, where you can look at somebody's body type and tell what their issue is. I actually can look at a person and tell them how their day goes and what they eat. <laughs> you should be a carny, <laughs> Chuck. Yeah, you should be what? Just on, carny? Just, just on oh. <laughs> where, they, uh, where they store their fat. You know, men that have... Lean arms and leg la- lean legs or are not fat. However, they have a big belly. Typically, they don't eat breakfast. They eat two big meals and they stress all day long. It's pretty simple. You said they starve all day long? Yeah, well, yeah they'll starve and they stress. They oh, stress. stress. Okay. So then they'll eat two large meals because that's how their day goes. They always miss breakfast or their breakfast is loading sugar. So I would imagine a lot of what you're doing isn't just counseling people on diet, but also maybe a little bit on lifestyle. Would I be uh, wrong in saying that? Lots of behavior. As Chuck said, uh, you could spike your insulin or change your insulin by having a lot of stress in your life, uh, which goes into a big part of fitness. Isn't just the exercise, isn't just the nutrition, but it's also the recovery and unwinding and relaxing and, you know, mentally as well as physically. Okay. All right. Good. Okay. So I want to uh, talk about the environment in which you do this all in. I, I would imagine when you were in the Navy, Dan, um, and Chuck, you might have a similar experience. It was easy to stay fit because everybody around you was doing it in their off time. Uh, 
I would say that is a giant misconception. When I when I think of the average Navy person that I would see, first of all, we're on a ship in boot camp. You know, you're certainly running around like a lunatic, and they're uh, and they're beating you up with lots of push-ups and calisthenics. And some of us with you know more than others, especially if you learn to question authority a little bit. Uh, but once you go to the fleet, you really only get tested like every six months or every year, and it's not a very challenging test. I would say that there certainly are fit people in the Navy, but the majority of them, I would say, are not. I mean, there's a lot of I would say the classic Navy person is uh, a little hunched, and I don't want to demonize my, my, uh, all my shipmates out there, but holding a stained coffee mug with a little bit of a pot belly and, uh, and not great posture because normally we're slouching when we're doing our job because it's just endless shift work. So I wouldn't say that uh, some military jobs, no doubt people are in great shape. We had some, some SEALs that always look ripped, even, even though they're wearing coveralls. You could tell that they're all, they all look like super athletes. Uh, but the I would say the average black shoe Navy, not so much, unfortunately. And I would say the food also wasn't the best. There was a lot of fried foods on the ship. Uh, my father, thankfully, each time I got sent on a six-month deployment, would send a giant box of cans of tuna, like 50 cans of tuna, uh, which, which was great because I was struggling with some of the foods there just because I thought it was just wasn't well-made and... You know, and so you that survived definitely on helped. a good quality protein. Well, I got the protein, and I don't like waiting online as well. So there was always a salad bar where I could arrange stuff, and I would just bring my own tuna fish. And uh, my mom would send me some stuff too. Uh, it would be funny. She actually sent me like caviar and like lobster bisque, which is you know it's just funny to have that if you're floating around the <laughs> Gulf somewhere. Um, well, so yeah, the hugely in- interesting though. You you knew somehow intuitively, or your parents certainly did, that you needed that extra dose of protein. They knew because I complained a lot about how food wasn't great. Yeah, yeah. Well, I want to talk about the environment of the of the gym. You know, are a lot of people intimidated to work out at a gym, or would they find it more motivating to work out in a gym? It depends on who you are and where you're comfortable. There are people that are, you know, that have been in the gym, and they have been in the gym as long as Chuck and I have been there, and we open up the club. Uh, but they don't go upstairs to the freeway room. They might just do all classes. And a lot of the classes, you know, they, they'll cover it all. There's weights and everything. So uh, like a class like Ripped and, uh, and like the Fusion classes, you're going to have resistance. You're going to have cardio. And that's fine, you know, if, if that's your niche. I would say, though, you want to try everything. You know, you even want to try classes you didn't think of trying because, you know, you're paying for all of it. And you're not going to know if you like it unless you give it a shot. So... Nothing makes me happier than to see an old white guy dancing in the hip-hop class. That just gives me an ear-to-ear smile. And you know what? It's cardio. It's good. And maybe that person doesn't want to do a recumbent bike or any of the other stationary-type cardio equipment. You know, some people like to be outside. As before, some people don't like the free weights. But I think it's a huge mistake not to do free weights and not to also work on balance, uh, which you don't get if you're sitting on a machine. Okay. And so, Chuck, how do you interact with the clients when they come into the gym? What is that like? Uh, when they come see me, yes. personally? Yeah. Do they come into an office, or how do you do that? Yeah, yeah. I, I have an office uh, up on the gym floor, and uh, they typically come in, and the first thing I just, you know, my, my, my first question is, what kind of questions do you got about nutrition? Do you know it all? Do you have questions or confused? You know, what, what, how can I help you? And then... I got this, so they'll grab something like Dan. So I can't get rid of this. So they'll slap their arm and like, well, you know, well, chemically, this is how this works and how the bodies work, and here's the way to do it. Do you eat breakfast? Nah, I ain't got time to eat breakfast. I'm like, 
well, there's the first problem. You know, we got to make sure we break fasting. That's what the word comes from. So we don't break fasting. There's a lot of negative hormones that put us to bed. We need some positive ones to get us going throughout the day. So, um, you know, simple protein and fats get a lot of that accomplished. Like, like I said, it could just be a hard-boiled egg. Wake up, eat a hard-boiled egg. Two and a half hours later, when you get to the office, now let's have your balanced breakfast, whether it's the shake with almond milk and almonds and almond butter, what have you. But really, it's very critical. you got to eat before you go to bed. you got to eat as soon as you wake up. Critical points of getting, making sure we're getting nutrients in. I love it where the, oh, I only eat for 6 o'clock. What time do you go to bed? Midnight. What? Yeah, I get that question a lot. Uh, Oh, my God, are you kidding me? That's kind of like the old, old, old trainer philosophy of, yeah, don't eat after six, get up in the morning, go run on an empty stomach. Well, the scale goes down, but your body fat stays the same. What'd you do? Scale went down. No, I failed. Good job. So you advocate eating at night, whereas a lot of dietary regimens say don't eat anything past five o'clock. Right before going to bed. As you're walking upstairs, eat something. What do you pop protein. in? What's the easiest thing? Protein and fat, basically. Depends on, depends on the person, but always protein, no doubt about it. Okay. All right, good. Well, I think we've been doing a great job of driving that message home. <laughs> I like how your combination is uh, protein, fats, and fiber, but not protein, fats, and carbs. You know, where did vegetables get their little demonizing uh, um, reputation as a carb? Uh, because technically it is a carb, if you're looking at what a carbohydrate is. Sure. It's just more, fiber is a carbohydrate, so it's just grouped into these carbs. That's why there you got the simple carbs, you got complex carbs. So fiber is considered a complex carb. So so is a sweet potato and a baked potato where, you know, table sugar and fruits are more of a simple carbohydrate based on the nomenclature or based on how they came up and said, this is what a simple carb is, this is what a starchier complex carbohydrate but we know that you know green vegetables are heck of, um, higher in a you know insoluble and soluble fibers than let's say a carrot or quote-unquote corn as a vegetable right okay so now I um, I want to take the conversation in the direction of motivation but I want to be respectful of your time Chuck um, I was going to ask a few questions about keeping motivation and um, whatnot during the process of weight loss. If you have time, you can stay on with us. But if you need to go, um, you can you can pop off if you need to. Um, okay. Yeah, I've got. Yeah, I've got a. Unfortunately, I got the FDA coming in here in about ten minutes. Okay. Well, I will let you go to prepare for that, and we'll continue our discussion uh, here with Dan about motivation. Um, so, thank you, uh, Chuck Rudolph, over there at the Renaissance Club Sport in Aliso Viejo. Um, thank you for having uh, me. Thank you for being here. See you at work, Chuckles. I'll be there later on, man. Thanks, Dan. You know all our questions. People are more than welcome to uh, contact me at the club and ask any questions they wish. Do you have a number that you want them to reach you at? Uh, you know what? Uh, I don't even know the number there. I don't know if it works too well. Give your email, well. Chuck. Okay. Uh, the, e- the email address is chuck, C-H-U-C-K, dot Rudolph, R-U-D-O-L-P-H, at clubsports.com. Okay, perfect. All right, Chuck, we'll see you, and then we'll continue on here with Dan. Thanks, guys. Take care. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Okay, so key thing about that motivation thing, that's a hard one to keep in people, isn't it? It's something that you witness, you know, no matter what gym you work at. And and, and it's, you know how everyone jokes around that everyone joins the gym in January, and usually they start trailing off by March? Right. There's a reason why that happens. And, you know, there's a phrase that I, I took from another trainer back in, uh, in my early days of training. And 
is the juice worth the squeeze, what you're putting in? And it pretty much comes down to that. If And a lot of people, since they don't have the right plan, you know, say they, they don't have their nutrition right and they come to the gym and you'll see them and they're just doing endless cardio. And they, you know, they're starving themselves. They're trying really hard. They're taking, they take one huge step forward, but unfortunately they take several steps back just by executing the wrong plan, by not getting their food taken care of and, you know, they're not organized and not doing resistance training. Doing something that maybe might have worked in high school when they were young and possibly still growing. And then after a while, you're going to, if you check the the scale or we have a, an in-body or we also have calipers, Chuck and I do pinching, just say your body fat stays the same, that's very disheartening because you sacrificed a lot to not make any progress. You're in the same spot. Some people, maybe it's marginal progress or even a little worse, which is the worst case scenario. And they go, well, what am I doing here? I mean, I could be home. I'm, I'm, I'm not partying with friends anymore. I'm not eating the foods that I like. And then they'll disappear. And we try to get our hands on them before that happens, which is why the club is very big on people succeeding. And to do that, people that join the club, they get two sessions of training with a trainer where it's not just straight up workout sessions. Uh, for me, it's like we sit down and we go over a battle plan. And a lot of the explanation would be similar to what you've already heard uh, with, with the nutrition and insulin. And we go over a step-by-step plan on how they succeed, how they could succeed in their goals, whichever their, you know, whichever goal they pick. Go over a plan first with nutrition, then with cardio. What's the minimum for cardio? And, and cardio is certainly in the big three on, on, uh, on what you need to do to get in shape. But it's number three. I mean, to, to focus on cardio before you focus on food. You're, you're, it's going to be a long and tough road ahead of you unless you're one of those, you know, genetic people that are just ripped no matter what they do. And, you know, hey, great for them. But for the rest of us, we have to be a little smarter. And some people, you know, they work real hard. And, you know, there's another phrase by, if I remember correctly, Scrooge McDuck, work smarter, not harder. And that's something that we really try to instill by outlining a plan. When you don't do that, it, it's, it's going to be tough. So you're there to catch them when they fall. Absolutely. Not only when they fall, but hopefully, you know, before they even start out, you know, I want to get my hands on them first. And it always starts off with the nutrition questions. And all of the, whether it's nutrition or fitness or cardio, I call it the, the elusive obvious. Once it's explained the proper way and with, with the science background, it's going to make perfect sense. And you're going to see through a lot of the fads that are out there and see what they are. There's a lot of, you know, if, if you see a style of eating that centers around one type of food, like the cookie diet, or you pick, you know, like, you know, like that would be one, or I just have sense. to eat. Like there's someone actually came up to me with uh, like the pepper soup diet. And I'm just like, that doesn't even have any calories in it. That's, in, that's insanity. Uh, right. Whenever it's doing that, it's usually a starvation plan that's hiding behind the veneer of one food type that it's presenting itself for more than it is. I don't care if it's an with that the berry from the Amazon that was the rage for a while, like the acai, berry, yeah, yeah. acai. all of that. It's it's all it's kind of a little trick just to just to get you to buy their product. So get in, get some help, and get somebody on your side is kind of the the way to do this. Absolutely, and just say your goal is fat loss because we're in America and most people want fat loss. Your workout plan should be dictated by how many days a week you come to the gym as far as resistance. If you are going to be there five days a week, you're going to have an entirely different plan than if you're there three days a week. And if you're if you're brand new to the club and you really haven't been doing anything physical for a while, I probably would tell you not to do weights five days a week because we don't want you to burn out. We don't want you to be overwhelmed, and that's common. I would have you do three days a week in the beginning, a full-body workout, 
and you know start with that and then when you look at the people like bodybuilders they're in there hitting it six days a week and sometimes they're even coming in more than once a day and they're blowing up one body part usually per time because that that's what they're going for but for regular people that aren't bodybuilders and they're not following the nutrition or putting in the time you can't focus on body parts like that you can't just come in like today is 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 arms you know and because you might not see arms again the time you get through the other body parts you're not going to see arms for two weeks Ah. And with that spacing, you're only going to get really sore and you're really not going to progress at all. So right. you have to you have to be realistic with how, you know, with what uh, what time you're going to put to it and also what effort level. In the beginning, if someone is brand new, we're I'm pushing them to like 65 to 75 percent of their ability. It's not about crushing anyone. If someone's trying to crush you and you're brand new, you run away, find another trainer. Because if you're getting to the point where you're getting nauseous and you're throwing up and you're brand new, that, that that's A, it's not a positive experience. B, throwing up does not get you to your goals faster. If anything, that's just going to hamper recovery. And I, I see that as very negative. Uh, not that some people that are very advanced that, you know, an athlete can push themselves really far, but they're an athlete and there's a reason they're doing that. And I tell people, unless there's a, a multi-million dollar contract on the line, don't push yourself to, to that extreme. Right, unless you're getting fit to star in a motion, major motion picture. <laughs> exactly, and you know that that's also under supervision. So going into you know what is a, a proper workout, when I have someone for an hour, we always you know they have to warm up first. Uh, for me, I'm in my 40s. I need to warm up a little more before I get going. I've had uh, two shoulder surgeries. I can't just jump in and start pushing a lot of weight. I need to I need to get a little bit of a warm up, and part of that warm up is core training. And core training, I find, is a very misunderstood term in the club because whenever people tell me what their, what their core exercises are, it, it's always just abs. And core is every, all the muscles that stabilize your whole lumbo-pelvic hip complex. So like your the hips. Lumbo-pelvic yeah, hip complex. Yeah, so basically complex. from where, uh, That's a new one on where short shorts would end okay. and, uh, and, like, uh, and right where uh, your, the center where your ribs split, right okay. around there. So not only would you have to work your abs, and your abs are absolutely a right part of the core, but also process. your obliques, and exactly, and you have the muscles that run parallel to your spine, your rectus spinae muscles, and there's other ones, and you want to work all of them. You know, when you look at people that are a lot older than us, or if you look around, posture is really getting worse, especially with uh, the computer generation. Sure. That everyone's kind of hunched over, and when you look at someone that that's really old. And they're all hunched over. They don't wake up one day and they're like that. That's, that's a game of millimeters that we're all playing every day, every year until we die. And But you could fight that, though. Once you understand what is pulling you into bad posture and what muscles pull you into proper posture, uh, then you could organize a plan to make sure you have, you know, that you're going to that, get that taken care of. And when you see, we've all heard stories of people throwing their back out, doing something silly, like picking something very small up off the ground. That's because their core is weak. And I, I look at core as like, you know, your spine as like a construction crane. You have the metal lattice work and you have the cables. The cables have to be taut or else the metal lattice work wouldn't be up to the job of hauling whatever it's hauling. It, it's a combined effort. You have to keep tension on the cables. And your muscles are essentially the cables and your spine is the lattice work. Okay. Nice analogy. Okay. So probably my biggest takeaways from all of this would be um, don't experience any hunger and don't experience any pain if you want to get yourself um, a good fighting chance at sticking with a program. No sharp, acute pain. I would say like no discomfort, no gain. You know, in the beginning, you, you, you should take it slow. Yeah. Look, it, it, some of it's a little unpleasant, but 
you get used to it and that kind of disappears when you see all the results come in. And that's really the biggest part of motivation. You want to do the food, the cardio, and the resistance all together. Don't wait and try to include them piecemeal. Because when you do it together, it happens quick. And I see it in so many faces. They can't wait to tell me how people are coming up to them and complimenting them. Some people, like they said, I didn't even think this person liked me at work. They never said a word to me. And then they're asking me <laughs> what I'm doing because they say they notice it in my, my hips, my neck, my arms. And when people, when you hear those compliments, that is like all these little doors of reward start to open. When before it was just food and sedentary, you know, entertainment like TV or stuff like that, other stuff starts to open. Compliments, everyone likes compliments and everyone likes hearing that. But then, you know, the other doors is maybe you want to go to a pool party that you felt a little uncomfortable going to before or go for a bike ride. I mean, if movement is not fun for you, then you need to take steps to make sure that it becomes fun again. There's a reason kids, you know, most kids want to go outside and play and run around is that it's fun. Right. And it's the same for adults. You just have to get back in the flow. And if, if movement's tiresome, you know, that's not going to happen for you. So you have to make sure to turn it around. Right, right. Okay, so what's your big one-two punch for um, motivating people to get in shape right now? One-two punch would be the first, talk to Chuck. Yeah. You know, get get your nutrition squared away. You might understand the elements of eating healthy, but that has little or nothing to do with eating to change your body composition. So that's 70 percent is what you were saying is all. Food. It's huge. And that's where most people with with the juicing and stuff like that, like they're thinking of micronutrients. They're not thinking of the of uh, of the body. You know, they're, they're confusing eating healthy with eating to change your body composition. Once you clarify that life gets significantly easier. And, you know, I don't miss a lot of the 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 less than fantastic foods I used to eat. I, I enjoy the foods that I eat and my, and my taste buds have changed. If you're used to foods that are stuffed with fat, sugar, and salt, a regular apple that's in season is going to taste like a piece of cardboard, hmm. you know, but you can recalibrate your taste buds, you know, as you recalibrate your nutrition. Okay, good. Okay, so um, I meant to ask Chuck before he got off the line, but maybe you can answer for me. Did you all did eat kale before it was popular? <laughs> I, I, I just, didn't. I, and I, I didn't even like it in the beginning. I mean, I didn't really was, understand it. I took really, this huge leaf. Yeah, they really changed it. And I felt like a goat. It. I'm sitting there chewing on it. And I'm like, oh, this is tough. Right, right. But I noticed when I would buy shredded kale, and it would have like little shredded pizza of like cabbage or carrots in there. Then it was. Then I liked it a lot. Right. Uh, so for me, I realized that you know maybe there's something wrong with my jaw that I can't chew a giant leaf of kale like a goat <laughs> or, or swallow it. <laughs> so I go to I go to to supermarkets that usually have shredded kale salads. Yes. And like for me, a normal dinner for me would be a chicken breast that would weigh, you know, or or a given amount of turkey about you know six ounces, and I would have that on a big bed of uh, of whatever salad like arugula, kale, all that whatever I like, and some other veggies. And then a, a bunch of olive oil, because olive oil makes everything super. Raw olive oil, though, not always cooked, right? Or does it matter? Uh, well, raw, I'm not cooking olive oil to put on my salad. It's just right. for dressing with a, with a balsamic vinegar. But just, just like, uh, which I wanted to include before, just like Chuck said, don't eat fruit at night. This also goes for things like whole wheat pasta. And I don't care if it's the, the holiest of whole wheat or the wildest of wild rice. Even though it's better than the, the plain white bread or white rice variety, it's still going to get converted into sugar and treated like a sugar. So it's not that you can't have that stuff, but you, it's better to have it earlier in the day when you have some physical activity coming to your burn way. it off. Mm -hmm. Right, right, right. Have it for breakfast. <laughs> All right. Well, so listen, how does somebody get a hold of you, Dan, if they want to if they want to get in touch with you? Same way as Chuck. Uh, best would be my email. 
And that would be dan.levin, which is L-E-V as in Victor, I-N, at clubsports.com. Even if you're not a member, feel free to send me a question. I'll get back to you. Oh, that's sweet. Okay, good. Well, I enjoyed the hour. You guys were great. Um, Imparted a lot of great information. So um, lots to chew on, we'll just say. And um, so uh, we'll be back next week. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming.